Hey there, I'm Simone Soul. I'm the Korean mom you never knew you needed, and I whisper encouragement and slap down the unnecessary bullshit that keeps you frozen and disenchanted. Let's do this. Hey everybody, guess what? Today's episode is an episode with unicorns. I have invited three unicorns to my podcast to have a conversation. And here's what I mean by unicorns. Straight, cisgender men in the coaching world. (laughs) They truly are. These three are clients of mine in Joyful Marketing. And yes, they are a vanishingly rare breed. Straight, cisgender men who are, I mean, I'm not saying that's all they are, but you know, whatever, who are deeply thoughtful, deeply aware, and are constantly working to dismantle some of the unuseful systems we live in and are genuinely trying to make a difference in the mental health of the world, starting with some other cis men or just men in general. And I adore the humans you're about to meet so much. And we just gathered here today, have a conversation about all these topics, the power dynamics in the world, how they intersect with you know mental health and how we live our lives. And knowing how incredibly thoughtful these people are, I know it's going to be an amazing conversation. So welcome, Israel Smith, Amaratma, and Pete Sibley. Would you please quickly introduce yourselves? Let's go in the order that I just called Israel. Great. So hi, Israel Smith, based on the east coast of Australia. I really focus my work as a coach on well-being and emotional resilience for men. I think that that's one of the core pieces for me that is important in men being able to embody all of themselves and not simply live and operate in this kind of construct that society has been presenting for a very long time. And I feel like there's so much more I could say, but I won't rant at the start. I'll let the other gentlemen introduce themselves as well. But we'll we'll come back to the <laughs> ranting really fast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, Amaratma. Yes. Hello, Simone. So good to see you and be with you. This is awesome. I would say, yeah, I'm a grief coach. So I'm located over in California on the West Coast. And I've really dedicated a lot of my life to really helping not only men, but also women as well, young men, and grow into the experience of the ability to heal from grief and have a way to integrate life after loss. I like to say that I'm an emotional scuba diver that swims with the dolphins and the turtles. I have ability to connect light into the dark and be able to go into the depth and make fun and play out of it. And that we try to find the jet streams towards the shore of peace and that being the goal of helping us come through really remarkable transformative experiences that we as men tend to suppress, repress, push away in these deep, dark feelings and help to really bring us into a space of integrating life after loss. You were also a hospital chaplain at one point, right? Yeah, and before that, an acupuncturist. And so I incorporate end-of-life care, palliative care, work in oncology and adult and pediatric work, along with energetic medicine from the Chinese medical point of view and somatic work. So that's how I tie in a lot of the kind of multifaceted aspect of grief with a lot of the emotional work. Well, fucking badass. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, can we just coach with these guys? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, 
Pete, you are wearing, I mean, you often wear nail polish and it gives me life. And in this moment, you're wearing my merch, which everybody's like, yeah. where's the merch? I'm like, merch has only been exclusively available to some clients of mine so far. But Pete's shirt now says the thing that I say, which is show up with love. And if they don't like it, fuck them. So welcome, Pete. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Love it. Like, how do I, let's introduce Pete. ADHD, as you could probably hear from the get-go with the excitement. I am a life coach that explores or works with adults on shifting that inner narrative that is negative, abusive, just in general, unkind, and shifting it into a kind, supportive, generous, understanding, soothing inner voice, inner narrative. Yeah. So I, for a long time, I called it, yeah, I called it self-kindness, but I think uh, with the work here and the support of of these other beautiful men here, I'm getting more brave and and actually calling it what it is, which is just, it's a self-love journey. So. All right. Words that you don't often hear coming out of the mouths of (laughs) straight men, I gotta say. (laughs) Listen, we have rants to get to, but I would like to open with this question. Uh, I would like to ask each of you, what are some of the lenses in our world that are so default that we don't even see them as lenses? It's like fish swimming in the water and you don't even register it's water because it's just all around you. What are some of those things? I'll jump in. For me, a huge one is men are always strong. Men are always capable men don't show their emotions you know there's all all of these stereotypes i've been in this work for a couple of years as a coach but i I feel like i've been doing this work for probably 15 or 20 years as far as managing and navigating my own mental illness and mental health journeys and i still come up against this myself like it is just so prevalent this idea that men have to be i don't know like made out of stone or something for us to be valid and and approved by society that's bullshit, but that's that's a huge piece of the water that I feel like I've been swimming in my whole life that I don't even see unless I really pay conscious attention. And I see that in my clients as well. Mm-hmm. Feel free to jump in, you guys. Yeah, I feel, and again, I'm going to be coming from obviously a Western viewpoint, but in my mind, the the lens is that like emotions is the realm of female and there's like two emotions for men. And that's like either totally pumped and juice, like we're going to fucking, you know, do this shit or uh, I don't know why, or it's like (laughs) angry about not getting the fucking shit going. And you can cry if your mom dies, but like that stoic tear where you're just standing there and like one tear, the the close up zooms in (laughs) and the one tear falls. Just dribbles delicately down the cheek. That's how strong this man is. Just one. Yeah. 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 Like I'll, I'll tap into that because I think that like the lens that I feel we struggle with as men and the lens, you know, swimming in the ocean is that we are actually emotional and we do feel and we feel a lot more than we give ourselves credit for or we allow ourselves to feel and that we are not compartmentalized in it. We actually feeling a lot. And I think the lens that gets stuck in it is that we don't have a vernacular. We don't have a vocabulary for how we feel. So then we react to it and we go reactionary to stimulus, 
to action right away to try to fix it, to try to heal it, to try to problem solve through it. Or then we do reactionary behavior like becoming violent or becoming uncharacteristic to our integrity. We doing things that are going to be harmful either to ourselves or to others. We're going to eat that thing. We're going to drink that thing. We're going to watch that thing. We're going to be a part of that world. And then all the while, we're swimming in an ocean of emotion naturally. And that somehow we're disconnected from that when we're actually not. We're disconnected to the intelligence that comes into the experience of naming it, feeling it, having a pause within it, having a relationship to what's going on, developing the relationship of what a difference between anger and frustration and annoyance and irritability and coming into much more sophisticated terms. And that gets me. That's like the part that truly rubs me that way because that's a denial piece. We actually can be better. We actually can do better. Why aren't we doing better? And that's like an accountability piece there. Now that's owning up to it. We feel a lot more than we give ourselves credit for. And that ownership, that's on us. We got to do that work. So in a social cultural um, milieu where pretty much everything stacked against you guys ever having these thoughts and realizing these things, I'm so curious as to how each of you individually came to these realizations like, oh, maybe I like I'm allowed to have emotions. Maybe I'm allowed to hurt. Maybe I'm allowed to be vulnerable. And I don't need to choose between like pumped up mode and angry mode. And maybe there's a third option. Like how did how did you all come to that? Sorry, you're not talking about nuance, are you? What? Like, <laughs> I'm going to crush the enemy or you know, oh, what nuance, right? <laughs> I get people say like, oh, you're always a- angry at the men. And I like, I'm a heterosexual woman. I love men. And what I hate is that it's so hard for me to have real conversations with them. Like I always like rail about the patriarchy, not because I hate yeah. men, but because the patriarchy makes it so hard for me to have real meaningful relationships yeah. with them. Yeah, it makes right. it hard for me to get to know who they are underneath all the walls of like, I have to um, be strong and I have to be the man, uh, right? Like, and that breaks my heart because I love all humans, right? And so, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, that makes me think of like, that's one of the lenses, Simone, is like, there is this lens around intimacy. And I think what you're talking about is the affinity. And and like, when the three of us met, just like one time offhand, like, I brought this word up. And I think we had this great conversation, but around intimacy, right? And it's like, the unspoken lens, I believe is like, intimacy is like this. And it has to do more with like, a sexual Mm. or like you know that type of relationship whereas like intimacy is this whole breadth of human experience right Mm. and so but if men haven't been given the tools to understand the level and different degrees of intimacy which i feel like at times like that's almost something that i'm a little bit of jealous with women like that there is this freedom of intimacy Like, Mm. you you know, you could talk about like, oh, I just love my girlfriend so much. And she's so pretty and beautiful. And like, I feel like the lens for a man is I can't say like, oh, I love my friend. And like his eyes just like take my breath away when they really might take my breath. Like they, he just might be a beautiful human being. Yeah. Like that. Right. Like the the default there is, oh, are you gay? Exactly. Exactly. And and we all learn the the lens, at least the the lens that I learned growing up on the eastern side of the United States. A lot of times in the hetero world of men, I feel like we default to like the lowest common denominator, which is usually like the biggest, strongest, loudest. 
you're in the locker room and the biggest, strongest dude is, you know, pummeling on this other guy. The default is down to the lowest common denominator instead of like what we think we would want to happen is rising above. Or if you're with a group of guys and they start catcalling girls, like the you mean like the lowest the mind, standard of like yeah, the mind, behavior is what we like yeah. to. It's like, yeah, like we all become like the lowest thing, but that's like a safety protection. At least in my world, it was, I'm going to be safe and protect. I'm not speaking up over these, these guys who are like calling out to these girls, but like, it's fucking making me want to vomit. Yeah. But I yeah, sit there and that's on me. And I think that's how I started my journey to answer your question in a long winded way. I think we'll, I'll we'll let somebody like else speak. Weave in all the different things at some point, but I think you know because men aren't allowed to have intimacy ex- unless it's sexual intimacy with with a woman. I think I just thought about what what that must be like for a man to be able to know receive no intimacy except from in a sexual way with a woman. Yeah. Right. That means they don't get to be witnessed for who they are. They don't get to be seen and understood and loved and accepted and and to be told you matter. You know because. Yeah. To be told that would be, you know, it would be an attack on, what do you mean I'm strong? I don't blah, 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 right? And that must be really painful to not be able to receive intimacy. And I feel really bad for you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Simone. But to me, this is like another lens as well, which is that so much of our worth is dictated by all of the external stuff. Like we, 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 we grow up in, and I, I know this is not exclusive to men, but as the male stereotypical role as the provider mm-hmm. and the protector, you know, that when there's anything that deviates from that, or when we experience challenges where we aren't fulfilling those roles, when we suddenly find ourselves where we can't be the protector or our, our business or our job falls into question and we can't provide financially for the people we care about. Like there's a huge identity crisis that comes up there. There's a big loss of self, I think, because in that sense, suddenly everything we believe we should be as a man, according to the way we've been socialized and conditioned and programmed is absent. And in that absence, in that void, what do we do? Who the fuck are we? You know? So, so that, that's a big lens. And that to me is actually, I, it's funnily, that's, I think, a large part of where my story here started. I ended up, um, and this is another curveball, I got postnatal depression after my son was born. I didn't carry him oh, for wow. nine months. Wow. But well, I experienced. I just, just have to pause. I'm astounded to hear that because I've never heard of postnatal depression in men. This is literally the first yeah. time in my whole life that I've heard of it. But then now that you say it, I'm like, that makes so much sense. Tell us more. Okay, so the short version is, and I could talk for six hours about this because I care about it so much, it's the stats in Australia are about one in 10 new dads experiences this and has it diagnosed. And as we can all imagine, men are less likely to ask for help and speak about things. So the real figure is probably significantly higher. But apart from the physical carrying and birthing a new child, a lot of the issues that face men are correlated to what the family is going through, like added responsibility, another mouth to feed, anxiety and fear about the future, what's happening, you know, all of the broken sleep as a purely mechanical piece, you know, that was a big trigger for me is like just all the broken sleep that comes with a newborn really messed with my headspace. So all of these pressures that we feel and that we carry silently without that opportunity to connect with the mother's group equivalent to being a dad's group, because there isn't any, we just have to sort of buck up and carry on kids you know and and that to me was too heavy 
and I I learned through that process and I actually started doing some work with a charity in Australia who deal with male and female postnatal depression and anxiety. I, I learned how common it is. There's so many dads suffering silently because there's no dialogue around this. There's no awareness around this is actually a real thing. And mm-hmm. so that led me down that path of what even is my life all about? And yeah you know, breaking that identity piece of like, I'm the strong protector. I wasn't strong. I was a fucking crumbled wreck. Yeah. I feel like the only way it's okay for men to like get together to get help is like when you've hit like rock bottom, like, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, or you have some like very serious debilitating, you know, psychiatric diagnosis and like you, you are in real fucking trouble. And it's either like you're the big strong man or you're, you know, like, so it's, there's nothing in between. There's nothing that holds men in between. And that really breaks my heart. Yeah, it's deeply true. I mean, it's, it's, it's super sad in Israel. I appreciate you sharing so much about the postnatal pain there. Because I think that some of the stories, which is why I like to do grief work with people, is like getting into the root causes of where a lot of the issues come from. And from my Chinese medical background, you know, we're always kind of looking for the root cause to disease processes. And what often seems like stars in the sky that seem so random from an energetic point of view or from traditional medicine perspectives, RUV, the Chinese medicine, indigenous practices, they could see the the constellation through the stars and see these sort of seemingly random symptoms as patterns of a similar piece. And I think that what I hear was talking about around intimacy and around not being able to have space and being held within our emotional aspect is a profound loss of innocence at a young age. And I think that yeah. for men, when we're taught to not feel or to feel connected to our emotions, that starts at a really early age. That's not an, that's not an older age experience. Yeah. And I think that when we speak about patriarchy, we have to see the systems of oppression that come across where patriarchy is taught to men at a young age not to feel, to violence and anger only being able to be expressions to express, that to actually have forms of intimacy, maybe only with your close relationships like mom and sisters, but not to other men. And that when you're doing it with other men, you're not most likely yourself. You are with those men and thus your peers. And so you become uncharacteristic to yourself, where if you are with a spouse, with a sister, with another male partner, but a one-to-one is not necessarily the same conversation that if you're in a group or in a locker room style conversations. And so Bell Hook's book on the will to change was a real eye-opener for me around the sources, around the conversation. And she named it as a grief response. And I was so mm-hmm. enthralled by that because that really spoke to me as a sense of, oh, this is something that's bred. This is a form of an oppression. And for men to then grow out of that experience, that's like, wow. Like, wow, to come into an authentic, emotional, vulnerable, intimate relationship with themselves and thus to the people in their life is so freaking powerful. Like, that is allowing feelings of failure. That is allowing fear to come in. That is allowing for shame to come through without it being that there's anything wrong with us, but an experience of saying that I'm a natural human being that is allowed to feel these things and that through feeling them, I'm actually beautiful. I'm actually remarkable. I'm actually somebody special. I actually have something to offer somebody. I don't have to fix problems. I can be with people. I can empathize. I can be sweet. And so to come back to your original question, for me, my story was exactly that. I couldn't negotiate that emotional part of myself. 
I was called girl so much growing up. Really? Not only did I look like a oh yeah, like I not only did I look like a girl because I wore my hair up and part of part as a Sikh as a you know tradition, we wear our hair up and so I wore a bun on my head. And so my features were just naturally feminine. But I got weaponized. Like it was a weapon people other boys used to use against me, calling me girl. I remember at a young age, I mean it was like Oh, it's still like a trauma for me, you know, like, girl, oh my God. And it was the worst thing when I was so surprised by that as I grew up, because I was like, oh my God, what are the best compliments? Because the feminine attributes that I had that I could negotiate with myself beyond the toxic masculinity and the alpha male bullshit that is existing around my life all over and the privilege that was existing everywhere. I was like, I don't want to be that. But yeah. I'm not a girl, so then I, where am I in all of this? And that journey of discovery wow. was profound dark nights of the soul, like 10 years yeah. of suicidal ideation yeah. for me. Wow. Mm-hmm. 10 yeah. years. Yeah. It was so dark. And yeah. like pulling myself out of that and finding authentic and saying, hey, actually, I am really beautiful. And my thoughts are not ridiculous. And I'm not stupid for the way that I feel. And these things are really beautiful. But what ended up turning into, which was the hardest part for me, and this is what patriarchy, I think, does to us, is that not only was I bullied, I became a bully. And not only did I become a bully to other men and other people in my life, I bullied myself. I was the shittiest. I am still the shittiest person to myself. I am so much the worst enemy, the one that cuts me down. And I have to work at that. Today, our preparation for this podcast was like, imposter syndrome all over the place i'm working through those thoughts so diligent because of how deeply ingrained and that's makes it that the stack is against us as men because how do we come through that bullying worst enemy the worst haunting thoughts about our own self through that patriarchy that's the lens and that's that to me is the grief experience that to me is the loss that we are perpetually feeling over and over and over yeah and that that's the work that's the work for us Mm -hmm. So interesting to me. I had very similar experience preparing for today's podcast, and I was filled with, racked with these feelings of shame and unworthiness. And who am I to have anything meaningful to contribute here when, you know, where I'm at in my coaching business and journey is so different and so not where I want it to be because of this belief in my head or this this image in my head of what I need to be to show up or what I need to be to have worth and to have value in this conversation, in this space. And one of the most beautiful things was I popped into the group chat that the three of us had and I said, hey, anyone else feeling like this? And I'm all right. I go, yeah, all morning, man. And I'm like, oh, good. Okay, not alone. That's that's a relief, you know? So we were both able to share our experience and name it and declare it with honesty and vulnerability. And that in itself, that experience, that was healing. I was like, oh. It, help. okay, it totally good. helped me. It totally yeah. helped me when you sent that message out. I'd be seen in that way. You know, like it was so beautiful. Because it was right. like able to and, vocalize it. It was able to be witnessed. <laughs> and and that's the power of what is available as men, as I suppose the the privileged, you know, advantaged part of society who have all of these, like patriarchy is just as harmful to cisgender men, to, to cisgender men. Now. You know? it's, yeah. Yeah. It's fucked. It's just fucked. And and it's 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 still jarring to me to hear. And it's one of the funny parts about this for me, this dialogue. It's still jarring to hear, oh, fuck the patriarchy and, you know, all of the, 
I suppose the swipes at the toxic man or toxic masculine that come from, say, your social posts, Simone, or just the dialogue in Joyful Marketing, because there's a lot of people working to dismantle oppressive systems, and largely it is patriarchy. And so there's a part of me that stings because of that self-identification as part of the problem. But then there's also a part of me that's like, no, for sure, these systems are broken. They're not serving humanity. And they hurt you, you, what it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this this conversation is not only historic for my podcast, but I just realized it's also historic for me personally, because I just realized that never once in my 37 years of life have I ever sat down with a group of men and felt this safe and felt this like I just feel my whole body like relaxing and I feel so deeply, deeply safe. And hearing you talk about your vulnerability and I'm just sitting here. I keep swallowing back tears because I realize this has never happened before. And, mm. you know, it's not like I feel super unsafe every time I talk to men, but, you know, there's always something. There's always a wall of like, we're either being professional or I am putting down this wall. Like you're not going to see me sexually or you're, or you have your man illusions of you need to feel like the big man and I'm going to like play along with that or I'm going to like, there's always some kind of bullshit thing happening. And it's kind of jarring to be in with talking to three men and have none of that. You know, it's like, wow. And it honestly is kind of making me want to hire a coach like one of you. So to help me parent a little boy. And I'm like, I need to raise my boy in a way where he's going to have a little son and he's going to be able to have, he's going to be able to access these parts of himself that society is largely, you know, set against him being able to achieve you know but like you know and simone thank you for sharing that because yeah Yeah. i'm witnessing these these men in the same light and i want to say that's what's on the other side that i feel like gets me so excited and like and it comes from you like creating spaces where me as a cis white hetero american man like talk about like Dude, do I look like the patriarchy or fucking what? Right? <laughs> well, you do wear nail polish. There's that, and I <laughs> and I get to like sit in a space that you have created that is so inclusive. Even though you never once made a direct invitation to white cis hetero like American men, that I can step into that space, and also that it's so redemptive that like this is the conversation that I feel like can get so exciting around this work of like men, like, hold on. There's like, it's almost like part of what we could do mentally is like, all right, time to like, let's hand over to that the divine feminine because in this new role that you get to sit in, it's fucking mind blow. It's like the shit that men were told to like go for is like, pittance compared to the experience of actually sitting in what like the transmuting this is i believe what the wisdom of the ancient mystics were talking about of spinning you know base metal into gold like Mm. this experience of spinning the that narrative and transmuting it into something brand new i'm with these men the same thing after my daughter was born i got so sick that i actually kicked in an autoimmune response and became type one diabetic. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm still wow. diabetic from that experience. Right. And so Israel, to hear you talk about that, I'm like, fuck, we got to talk, brother. I want to hear more. 
But absolutely. Last, last night, I stood in the bathroom with my two kids. I have a 15-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. And we were laughing because I was sharing with them the moments that I was so I was so upset with them. They had so triggered me that I was sharing the stories with them. And they were laughing and they were almost like comparing who did daddy like respond the worst to, right? <laughs> My daughter, she was crying so much. It was like three in the morning. I used to be a touring musician and we were out on the road with her. I was just trying to drive her around to get her to go to sleep. And I pulled over on the side of the road and I got out of the car and the car's just running and I'm like walking away from the car. Oh, wow. Because I like, I just could not deal. Sure. Uh, and so that one was great. So my daughter Leah's like, ah, daddy. Then. And then my son, one time I was going to change his diaper. And as I was like laying him on the floor, I laid him down and he reached up and kind of did this, like push me away. Like, don't change my diaper. Mm. And I stood up and I punched the bathroom wall. And of course, that's right mm. where the stud was. So I fractured mm. my hand. Mm. I come to find out that there's like very few men who haven't done this, the boxing would, yeah. fracture. Totally. And so these were the two stories that I was most ashamed of. And I was spinning out in depression at that time with my kids. Years later, I'm standing in the bathroom and we're laughing and we're giggling about it and we're hugging each other. So like, that's what I want to like just put forward. And I think Amaratma, you were talking about that so beautifully of like just that, that power of, of like witnessing it. Right. And like how that just, just the witnessing alone with my kids, like became this. And all of a sudden I walked away and I saw my wife and she had like that kind of knowing smile. I was just like so proud of the dad that I have become because of this coaching work. And like, I think it's just like, here we go, right? And like, that's what gives me so much hope for my son and for, for my daughter too. Your like, kids experience that in you as their dad, and they're going to have a new standard for how they get to be with their intimate partners and how they, yeah. what their standard is for their intimate partners. It's like, you get to, you know, like if, if someone identifies as a man, like they get to be that and be able to open up like that, Right. And how, yeah, how powerful is that? I feel like Pete, we should have a little contest to see who has tra like traumatized their children the most. Like there's some <laughs> stories I can tell as well, you know. Listen, it does not take a penis to traumatize children. <laughs> but you know, there's no, I just think the heavy, toxically masculine kind of expressions of that, though, you know, I feel and and I mean, it's it's funny and it's tragic, but I feel like there's so yeah. much. There's so much value in being seen and being recognized and acknowledged as uh, a flawed human with grace, you know? And, and I think in this moment, like that's to me what you were experiencing. It was like divine grace visiting you in the bathroom with your kids because you yeah. can take this, this thing and then you're able to alchemize it into a beautiful healing experience for you and for the family. Like, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Anyway. So here's my question for the last part of this conversation. How do y'all in your marketing get get through to men? So maybe maybe it's that you. Oh God! Cue the shame. Huh? <laughs> I said, cue, cue the shame. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you all of you have to some extent. You know, you, listen when you say cue the shame, like that's a joke. But like, Idiot. there's there's no way 
that look at what we're up against, right? There's no way we're going to be successfully getting to all the people that we want to get to right away. But you have all worked with men. And do you find that this is something I'm wondering about as somebody who is, you know, devoted to bettering the coaching world and making coaching more accessible and inclusive. And it just, I'm wondering for my own self, because I work so, you know, I work heavily with basically any demographic that is not cis hetero men. You know, I work with a lot of women, people who identify as, as women and, and trans people, queer men, but very few straight men. And so it just makes me wonder, do you sense that there is a, a rising, you know, awareness and curiosity to do more of this work? How, how has it been for you? Like, what are, what have you found to be effective for getting through to people? Or do people already seek you out because they're already curious? I think I might jump in here. I think that, yeah, I think that, you know, in terms of like coaching and marketing, I think that Simone, actually, you do a really good job on this. I think that, you know, us three men found you, you didn't search us out. You didn't seek us out. In some ways you kind of push us away, but it's not true, actually. Like you might think that, but it's not true at all your attack on the patriarchy is exactly why I hired you as a coach, why exactly I found you. And I don't feel comfortable. And I've sought out other coaches and I've seen the the world of coaching and the patriarchy that exists there, but not really the patriarchy. It's a sort of masculine, competitive comparison. Get to the top and, you know, Blah, 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 crush the competition, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, but it's also, it's also not it's human, it's not vulnerable. Shit. Yeah, and you see a lot of women in there. And actually, before I got you as a coach, I hired a coach before that, and I paid a lot of money for it. And I thought I would be able to having somebody who was a little bit more on the nurturing side and a little bit more on the human side. But it ended up being a woman who's actually kind of bought into the patriarchy mindset. And that confused so many me. of us. Like, that confused me so much. So I think, like, the awareness is so big there. For me, I think that it's been really powerful for me as a coach. I don't work specifically with men, nor do I work specifically with women, nor do I work specifically with men who identify and women who identify in varying ways. I work with people who are working through grief and wanting to do that kind of relationship, that work and life after loss. Like that is the dynamic. And so through that process though, I speak a lot to emotions. And I think one of the most powerful things, which you taught me, Garber's Post Challenge, take up space, be vulnerable, show up. And the scariest thing for me was to show up, to show my faith, the faith that I felt constantly abused by growing up and post 9-11, things that people said about me. I That was my winning result. That was my overcoming. My fear was to put my face in reels on social media. And something has happened very profoundly because men are following me and I'm having connection with men. And men are seeking me out for work. And it's surprising because it's this energy of vulnerability. Every man is emotional, but not men are not taught how to be vulnerable. And showing my vulnerability online, showing my emotional expression, expressing my fears, expressing my concerns, showing that redemptive quality, working on understanding that loss of innocence is the core loss that a lot of our men feel. And the loss of being able to be in touch with our emotions, that emotions are normal for us and helping mm-hmm. to normalize that, I think is profound modeling, which I think we need more of. There's a yeah. lot of men who are doing that that I follow on social media and take them as sort of models, but I do it in my own flavor, in my own way. I think that's really powerful. And I wish more people found your work because I think that more men who are coaches could find a really safe space 
to be able to take their marketing and take their coaching to a whole nother level because then they would then feel safe and have permission to really be who they actually are that culture, society, moms, dads have all denied us to be. Yeah. And that permission was magical for me. That's exactly yeah. why I flew out to fucking France to visit you and to like say what up to your yeah. parents and to say hello because part of it was like my wife's on my 10 year anniversary and we haven't been internationally <laughs> traveling and I wanted to sort of honor her and celebrate her. But in some ways it was like a recognition of like, thank you for giving me a man permission to mm. be a man and to not feel shame for being a man. Like, that's yeah. fuck yeah thank you you know like that's that's mm-hmm. so big and to give men other permission for that same thing is that vibe and that collective vibe and i think that's making a difference damn i am i'm yeah. humbled Amaratma, i just want to say like i'm so glad you're putting your face out there because like if this is the space that i can say it you have a beautiful face like i could just stare into your eyes and just like I love it. I, I just put on your, like, if I need to calm down, I just put you, like, into my feet, and I'm like, ah. Agree. Like, you know, that's the kind of, like, and I think that's the kind of intimacy that, uh, that of, like, being held in strength, like, is an intimacy that men don't get either, right? Mm. So, like, having, like, that's not okay, I feel like, to say out there in the world that, like, I want to be held by a strong man, and I fully identify as hetero right and someone actually sat with me i think this came up this isn't answering your question simone but i think it's it's like if there are some cishet men listening that are are curious about this find a coaching friend that can walk them through the exercise of questioning their pronouns Mm. that is Mm. a beautiful experience and actually a, a fellow peer coach in joyful marketing yolanda invited me to do that one time it was wow. like yolanda o'bannon we love you she's the one shout out. what does that okay what does that mean i did to question your pronouns i mean i i know what that means but like what does that process look like like hey are you a he like what like what how does that work well yeah well I'm you know you it's so puzzled it's like <laughs> During COVID, I started painting my nails with my daughter. Like it was fun, and then I noticed that like I wanted to keep doing it. And then I found that there's like this whole like movement of men that like paint nails, like mm. you know, and like especially like I mean, some of the toughest guys that I thought out there, like Metallica. Like all of a sudden, I look and they're like, you know, on their guitars, and they have manicured, mm-hmm. like with beautiful nails, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is going on? And so, like, there were all these things that I feel like are attributed to women that, like, totally appeal to me, but, like, might be more of something that I would think would be of, like, you know, somebody who identifies as gay or queer that, like, would be, you know, like, wearing bright, vibrant colors. You know, I don't know. Like, whatever shit is in my head, right? Yeah. But it's all this, it's just all the stuff in my head, right? So, anyway. It's kind of like... gender anarchy like in your in your brain <laughs> right and being yeah. okay with mm-hmm. it like i think like that's where my marketing comes in to, to answer your question is like you you know you share in your world if people are listening and they're not part of joyful marketing this idea of a winning result and i remember one of your winning results that hit me like it felt like it knocked me over which was like all of me makes sense mm-hmm. And it's like, from then on, like, all of a sudden, the marketing starts becoming like, all of me makes sense. Like, I love talking about this. And that makes sense. 
And uh, like this, and so like all of me makes sense. And like, I don't need to explain that I'm saying this, but don't forget I'm cishet. Mm-hmm. Like, now I'm saying mm-hmm. this and like, I'm, but I'm cishet. It's like, no, all of me makes sense. Without having to over explain yourself and caveat yourself. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. And I think the men that have come into my coaching realm and have sought me out are attracted to that. Like, what is that? What is that about? Oh, it gives mm. me so much hope for humanity. <laughs> I love that. I mean, to me, it's that's the conversation, Pete, about like embodying and embracing the divine mascul- masculine and the divine feminine that's contained within all of us. All right, like they're just, to me, they're different flavors of energy and there might be a tendency to express more of one than the other, but doesn't mean they both don't have a place. And I think... Like my operating premise is is this belief that we all have both. A lot of women in high-powered careers are actually doing themselves a disservice by showing up too much in their masculine and they're embodying what would be typically male behaviours and male traits of, of alpha and competitiveness and power over and all this sort of stuff. But and a then, lot of it is for those women a survival mechanism. Like that's how... Absolutely. You know, like hmm. they wouldn't have been seen as legitimate. They wouldn't have been given space on um, platform, you know, credence, any of that. If we lived in a world where it was safe to be, to live in more, you know, what is traditionally considered feminine characteristics. So, right. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, that's a great pickup because I know my, in no way meant to judge or anything like that. But I also I, I recognize that, yeah. that the issue too is that the culture, the paradigm, and this is probably a deeper part of the why for me, men have created a lot of the power stru- or all of the power structures and they've created them from that place of fear and scarcity rather than from a place of love and inclusivity. And so all of the worst aspects of masculine, you know, power and action and strength and all of those sorts of characteristics dictate the culture. Men are the people in the positions of power that get to hold the big levers of what we do and what we don't do and how we show up and how we don't show up. And so for women to get a seat at the table, obviously they've had to play that game. And so that's what I do, what I hope from the work, the sort of the bigger kind of question of why that I've tried to answer for myself behind this work as a coach, working specifically with men or principally with men, is because I believe if men can do as the three of us gentlemen are doing and working to embrace more of who we fully are, working to honour all of the aspects of ourselves with the combination of vulnerability and accountability so we can go there emotionally with ourselves and with the people that matter and we can be responsible for our fuck-ups and take action to mend and to heal. From that place, I think the world can heal holistically. I think humanity has a chance. And I think that, you know, that's that's the hope that I hold as like the North Star behind trying to encourage alpha male tradesmen who drink beer every Friday, Saturday and Sunday and gamble on horse racing and, you know, scream at their children and fight with their wives and ignore anything emotional. <laughs> I believe that's a huge opportunity for growth and for change there. And it feels like banging my head against a brick wall sometimes. But I know that the men that are in power who have gotten there by being a toxic masculine if they are able to be reached and to say, hey, listen, there's this other way, there's this other paradigm, there's a new way of operating that will not only help you feel better in yourself and help you feel more embodied and more whole, it will also bring better to the team that you're supporting, to the organisations that you're leading, to the structures that you're perpetuating. 
Well, we just came up with the cure for humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Simone, you mind if I jump in? Yes, please. Yeah. I feel inclined to talk about a part of this that I, I think is so important and so powerful because divine masculine has come up a couple of times. And I, I think there's some reference and context I think can be very helpful for this. You know, in Hinduism, Hindu culture, the polarity of masculine and feminine is not the same as it is in the West. Mm. And, you know, the, the sort of source of creation that comes from the Big Bang and the dualism that comes from that and that masculine and feminine forces, the masculine energy is actually not the doer, not the fixer, not the changer, not the magic maker of life. That's the feminine energy, the divine feminine energy. Divine masculine energy is the presence holder, is the space holder, is the listener, is the container. The divine feminine is what creates life. It's it's the creation. It's the dance and is also the one that is the warrior. And so this aspect of the divine masculine is so powerful to me because we've sort of lost a little bit of a relationship to what we're really talking about when it comes into this identity crisis that Israel has mentioned about where we as men are, where we're at. We need a model. We need foundations about thought and culture and perspective and leaders to think about divine masculinity through this divine, through this identity crisis, because we know that fight-flight response is the survival mechanism. That's the fear response that we all have. But for women, I learned through psychology is actually not the same. Women don't necessarily have the fight-flight response. They do, but in a different way. I understand now that when women are confronted into a fear or survival experience, their response is not competitive, alienation, fight or flight, Mm -hmm. but collaborative, community, tend and befriend. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need more women in leadership. This is why I love Joyful Marketing and you being at the helm for it, because I love you as the leader for this process for us and to be a follower, to take the step back. And to allow that in an intentional way, because then that actually leads me then to my divine masculine and through my mindfulness practice, through my somatic work, through my deep meditation experience. I mean, like not just the five, 10 minutes of like quiet time, but like spending a half hour, hour going into a deep, silent based internal meditative experience. We start to open us into a very different realm of our own being. And that beingness. I think then starts to help create the the movement and the motion that we're looking for for that identity. It's coming back home to ourselves. And then we can then relinquish the need to be in power because we are fighting and flighting. We are creating wars and greed and creating all the problems and allow women to be in that place of power. That then becomes an opportunity for the world to find the fucking peace, dude. Like that is what we're all about here is like, we need a more world yeah. fucking peace. And how do we do that? How do we relinquish that power? Actually, how do we come into safety within ourselves? And that is the quiet, that is in the depth, that is in that place. And so I think this Hindu concept is very useful to really give us modeling work for divine masculine energy. The last thing I might say to this is that any man work, any any person work, is like relationship work around their father. Like that, this becomes the like lineage work. How are we raised? How are we taught? How are we spoken to? And so then this becomes the healing process that we kind of go through. I mean, I obviously I could speak a lot about this and have a lot of passion and intensity around a lot of this, but I feel like there was a, an important word here to kind of tie in this divine masculine piece here, because we often look to our fathers for the divine masculine. And I think that sometimes 
gets us a little distorted. And then we come into this God in heaven mindset kind of idea. And this there's a spiritual phenomenon to what we're talking about with divine masculine that we ought to speak to. I would love to do a whole other podcast just sort of deconstructing and getting out of the sort of like the Western Christian concept of masculine, feminine, and like what else is, is there out in the world? That would be an amazing yeah. podcast topic. So totally. Yeah. I, I just feel like that's a mic drop. Like, I don't know what to add to that. Before we close, just tell us really quickly who you work with so that people, and we'll have all of your links to all three of you in the show notes so that people can find you, follow you, and hire you. Just really quickly, yeah, who do you work with and who would you invite to reach out to you? Israel, first. So the guys that I love working with are the guys that are small business owners, usually dads, and particularly the ones that are really in supposed to be honest where I was, you know, 10, 12 years ago when my son was born, have all of the things, have all of the should haves about society and still feel fucking miserable or, you know, in trouble in their marriage and just really not feeling like anything they're doing is working. They can't keep up. Everything is an overwhelm. Everything is in stress. And that's manifesting in anger and argument and those sorts of things in those behaviors, in those spaces. That's where I can work some serious magic with people and help them come home to themselves and to heal themselves, which then ripples out into their life and and starts to transform their relationships with their partner and their relationships with their kids. Thank you. Amaratma? Yeah, so my work is grief coach. So I would say that people who are experiencing loss in their life, who've had a loss of a family member, has an anticipatory loss, so anticipatory grief, or people who've gone through like major life-changing events, divorces, job changes, you know, issues around finances and so forth. These are the, the experiences of loss that I help people with. And the way that the nature of my work evolves is that it's programmatic. And so a lot of times people get confused that grief coaching is like therapy and that it is this long process of years and years that kind of evolves, but it's not. It's actually programmatic where we teach rule, um, skills and emotional resiliency and help to identify grief emotions and how to move through them. And simple and gentle and easy ways like i said emotional scuba divers that plays with dolphins and turtles you know by the jet stream to the shore piece so it's like a playful fun kind of experience about i don't know how you turn grief. grief coaching into something that sounds fun that i want to do <laughs> it's like that sounds fun. <laughs> right in my head he's like that yeah. cool turtle in the eac and finding nemo is like come yeah, on yeah. dude it's great you know <laughs> wow some serious magic thank you pete thank you yeah, I'm working with mostly, I'd say, adults, but on that internal narrative. So anybody who's kind of sick and tired of the internal narrative that seems to keep showing up, usually I put the spin on it that it's a negative narrative and you want to kind of shift it. But it can be even a, just like a self-doubt narrative. So learning how to take that narrative and shift it into something that is just loving, generous, kind, and understanding. It doesn't have to always be like positive. Amen. Okay. Well, thank you all so much. And I don't even know what to say. This conversation was magical. Thank you. And I hope that thank you, was so healing for me. And I hope that all the awareness and the insights in this conversation ripple out to so many hearts in the world and create new ways for us to relate to ourselves and each other. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you all next week. If you're looking for a one-stop shop where you can find the best of my teaching all organized into a beautiful and actionable sequence, guess what? I got you! 
I took the best of my podcast episodes and created a whole damn workbook around them. It's called the Simone Starter Pack, and it's the ultimate marketing cheat sheet. I got countless emails from folks who downloaded it saying, this free resource is worth more than all these courses I paid thousands of dollars for. So what are you waiting for? Go grab the Simone Starter Pack. The link is in the show notes. I can't wait to see what amazing results you'll get from it.